Special thanks to Fonda Santa Rosa, the only place in Houston with the best Mexico City-style cuisine. Welcome to Latinos Who Thrive. I am your host, Victor Escalante. Join us as we embark on a journey of inspiration, empowerment, and celebration of the Latino community. In this series, we delve into the stories, experiences, and achievements of extraordinary individuals who have defied the odds, overcome challenges, and thrived in various fields. Through engaging interviews, thought-provoking discussions, and valuable insights, we aim to showcase the diversity, resilience, and unwavering spirit of Latinos around the world. From trailblazing entrepreneurs to influential artists, passionate activists, to groundbreaking innovators, we shine a spotlight on those who have made a significant impact in the respective industries. Each episode offers a unique opportunity to explore the triumphs, struggles, and aspirations of our guests highlighting their invaluable contributions to society and inspiring listeners to pursue their own dreams. Whether you're seeking motivation, guidance, or simply a sense of connection, Latinos Who Thrive podcast is here to uplift, inform, and ignite your passion for success. So get ready to be inspired, informed, empowered as we embark on this incredible journey together. This week, we have special guest Elvia Taylor, who started Crossing Borders Preschool with $10 in her kitchen. Her story is incredible, and you will be inspired and educated on what it takes to grow a multi-million dollar business. So let's get on with it. And now we have Elvia Taylor. Elvia, welcome to Latinos Who Thrive. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Elvia, tell us about your background and how that has prepared you to where you are in your life at this point. So, uh, do you want me to start from my school uh, career or from where I started making more profit and more income? You can start anywhere you'd like because our roads lead to your story of how you have gone from zero, actually it's $10, to $10. (laughs) From zero to hero. So, you have quite a story to tell. Uh, building companies that generate over $4 million million a year. So start anywhere. Okay, so um, I was born in Mexico. I was brought to the U.S. when I was four years old. And I went back and forth from Mexico to the United States. And I want to emphasize why I'm from Mexico, because that has to do a lot with my parents and the passion I have for culture, um, traditions, and languages. And um, the reason why I'm saying this is because I was born into a family that was very a happy family. My dad was a self-entrepreneur himself. He built businesses as well. So I saw that from the very, very early ages of my life. But the funny thing was that my mom passed away when I was seven years old. And I had, a, um, you know, that loss of a child, a woman, a girl. And I wanted to be always my dad's superhero. Just because, you know, you're, you lost a parent. You want to be the best you can for the parent that is left. <laughs> And so I really um, 
was very, very strong. My personality has always been very, very strong. Um, and all I wanted was to be the be very best of what whatever career wanted, I wanted to be the very, very best. Time goes by, I go to school, I go to, um, you know, I studied and everything. But um, when I go back and forth from Mexico to, um, to, uh, to the United States, I had to learn Spanish. I had to learn to uh, speak correctly and write correctly because I was going into school over there and my, my English was more stronger than my Spanish. So I had to, I even had to redo high school over there. Okay. Um, because my grades were not equivalent. Um, that was one of my challenges where I had to learn how to do grammar in Spanish, how to even have friends in Spanish and in a different environment than in, uh, here in the United States. As I start doing that, I start noticing that I like to learn languages. I like to show off that I know English and then I know Spanish. So at 17 uh, years old, I started teaching English to children. I was still going to school, of course. Um, that was one of my biggest priority was to finish school. But I love teaching. I love teaching children. And then my one of my aunts wanted me to help her train an executive that was a Mexican executive that was going to go and move to the United States and live. And I was, um, they interviewed me for the job. It was a part-time job. I was still going to school. And I took on that role of a CEO of a big company in Mexico, took him, his wife, and his kids into my wings and taught them English. So that was my first test of uh, doing uh, classes for somebody way above my standards, right? It was okay. not children. It, this time was adults, and I continue loving it. I did not have any uh, experience uh, teaching except for what my teachers had taught me and what I love doing and feeling. So later on, when I graduate, I opened my own language school in um, Mexico. After a couple of years, I sold it and continued working as a an, as an executive relocation manager for surreal companies, American companies inside Mexico. I met my husband through one of those companies, and um, we got married. We moved to the states, and this is where it all starts here my whole life is I wanted to start my own business again. I had that, you know, that fire from all these uh, years. You also and had the experience that uh, I had the experience exactly that you did I, in Mexico. What part of Mexico were you born in? I was born and raised in San Luis Potosí in the capital, okay. which is a city. When I arrived, I told my husband and my dad, I want to do uh, start my own business and do that, but I don't know how to do it here because I had lived off and on in the States, but never as a uh, worker or an employee. I, I had always come here as a student, you know. Um, so I told them, let me start working in the corporate world 
And then let me see what I can kind of see the market and see what I can do and things like that. So I start started doing that. I went into the corporate world and I climbed the ladder. I was starting to make very, very good money. Teaching teaching no, in Spanish? It's, a, it's an executive uh, uh, assistant for CEOs okay. VP of, of corporate uh, companies. And then one day, um, my aunt, this is another aunt, lived, lived in Conroe. And she was taking some English classes and the Salvation Army, they were free classes. And she told me, you know what? They needed a teacher there for the evening. Maybe you can teach us because the teacher that they have are not very good. And I know you're a very good teacher. And so I went, I applied. This was volunteering. And I started volunteering there. And guess what? I loved it. I have, I, I love being in front of a crowd, talking to them, teaching them very, very basic things from advanced stuff. And, and it's not just the languages. It was just the whole thing, the, the emotion. And I had to tell, because this was a volunteering uh, position, I had to tell many of the women in that class that they, it was a free class. So there's a lot of women taking English classes from different um, countries. And they were just there for socializing. They were okay. not there for teaching. And I'm a very strict person uh, with myself and with my students. And so I started telling them, you please do not show up next class. If you are not considering this to learn, don't come to my class. If you're here to be gossiping and talking to your friend, then stay outside or don't show up. My class started producing the slides of women and bringing more and more men and more and more women that wanted to really learn. And they started, all these uh, men were starting to, and, and women were, I have to recommend you. And they started recommending me with their employers to learn, you know, the opposite. So if they were coming here for English, they recommended me for to their bosses so that they would learn Spanish. Okay. And suddenly, I at that time, I had a 12-year-old, 13-year-old son. And I just couldn't do continue with volunteering. It was just too much, you know, driving home, picking him up, dropping him somewhere else and then going and doing volunteering. So I told him, you know, I'm just going to do it till the end of the semester and that's all. Elvia, how long did you teach or volunteer? The this Salvation facility? Army? Yeah. This was probably at the year 2000 and I, I was there for three months, four months, something like that. Okay. Now, that's a lot of hours that you put into this, this <laughs> volunteering. Yes. What was it that kept you going? Because most people would have given up uh, after after one month, I would have given up the first week because <laughs> because I like you have very little tolerance for people that are not taking the material lesson seriously. Yes. So what is it that kept you motivated to stick with it? That the moment that in the first week when I started telling people do not come to my class if you're not going to show up for to learn 
the other uh, group of people that really wanted to stay or they were recommending me word by word to their friends to come in um that that's when i i saw that huh they're really wanting to learn okay and they're doing their homework they're going these are landscapers these were uh people working in restaurants they were going home taking a shower and coming here and it was they were sacrificing their time to come and meet with me that's when you know when someone is really serious yes and sometimes i remember one or two times some of them would not have the time to go and take a bath or a dinner or lunch but they were there and they would sit at the very end because they were saying I didn't take a shower and I'm all stinky today, but I had to come to class. And that's when I saw, oh my God, is this a gift that I have been, that I received that that shows that I'm good at this. Yes. Now, <laughs> someone listening to us might say, well, of course, Elvia was successful at what she did because uh, she had a demographic of students in contacts within corporate America that she could easily scale up to build her business. What would you say to critics that would no, that would say that? Um, you cannot really use your customers from your corporate world to, you know, bring your company to a higher standard. My standards were that I, if I had worked in five hundred. Uh, Fortune 500 companies, I wanted to be one of them. Okay. I wanted to be recognized like that, but not to use their customers to build my business. I have never used that. I'm, I'm not into using or copying somebody else. Okay. All right. Now, so from there, from, from teaching at the Salvation Army, what was your next step in scaling up in your in your so, teaching and practice. Yes. So when I told them that I was just going to continue until this date, and I don't remember if it was, and I think it was like a month, they, some of them said, can you do private lessons for me? Can you do a group in your house? Please, please, please. So I started in my house a month later or two months later. I don't remember exactly, but I started in my house at my dining room table. And I had seven students. That's when it all started. Okay. I had seven students that were paying me. And yes, they were all from the Salvation Army. Wow. Classes. And they were the ones that really took my whole vision. I started dreaming. Oh, my God. I think I'm, I'm ready to start my business. And when I started teaching them at my dining room table, these men asked me, and there were two girls, so five guys and two girls. They asked me, can I refer you to somebody else? Can I refer you? I started building my company from seven students in my house to 150 people in my house. Wow, that's a lot. All right, and now. What is it about your your teaching style or your curriculum that is unique to be able to scale up so fast? So at my house, when I started teaching, of course, I started hiring people. Okay. And I really, the first thing I 
even uh, uh, until today, I train people that my franchisees, um, um, my directors, they don't have to always find educators that have a certification. Because a lot of people that have a teaching certification, especially in some time ago, they were not as passionate. Yes. A lot of people that have that passion inside of them, we can build them. We can train them to, to get it out of their system. And I think that as long, to me, a teacher, and that could be in elementary, could be in preschool, it, it has to be an entertainer. That's correct. Because, That's <laughs> because correct. if you do not keep the attention of your student, it doesn't matter if he's 18 months or he's 60, 80 years old, they're not watching you every second while you're in front of them. You're not doing your job. I learned that as a broadcaster with Univision yeah. Radio is that people want to be entertained first and then informed because yes. you can be top heavy in information and people will tune you out. But when you can be entertaining, you can be interesting, provocative, then yeah. people begin to notice. People yeah. uh, stay glued to what you have to say if you have those elements into your speaking. So how did you entertain your students? Give us your secret sauce. <laughs> My secret is, first of all, I engage with them. I ask them questions. On a I personal always, level. You, you yes. got to know them very personally. Yes. Okay. Yes. But then my voice has to be loud. Okay. I cannot have be in a class and loud and dramatic because I cannot be in a class with. So when you use ING is because of this, this, and this, you can't do that. But you really have to raise your voice and emphasize right. the rules and put it on the whiteboard, erase it, and give them examples and even trick them. Sometimes yes. what it worked for me was I would do it in, uh, would, would do it wrong. Mm -hmm. And I would say, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? Did I do it correctly? According to my rules, did I do it correctly? And they would say, oh, no. Oh, yes. Okay. Why would I do it wrong? What was wrong? Well, this, this. Okay. Now you're paying attention. So you have the platform skills to get up in front of the class as a public speaker. And you use uh, a lot of intrigue. You use a lot of interrogatives that really engage the mind of the students to where they wouldn't doze off or yes. their eyes would glaze over uh, listening to the mechanics of learning to speak a second language. Uh, what well, else so did I you would, do? I would do a lot of competitions. Okay. Between them. Okay. Um, like, let's say vocabulary. I'm going to translate. I'm going to say it in English. You say it in Spanish. And we're going to time ourselves to see it who does it faster. And then, for example, uh, if you're in an intermediate or more advanced level, I would read this paragraph. And the first time we're going to read it, you're going to follow me because you're going to follow my um, accent. And then the next time you're going to do it by yourself. And we're going to time you because you're going to do it three times. And the third time has to be the fastest one. So I would always have a timer. Okay. And if you make a mistake, we're going to start all over again. And they will go 
uh, crazy because they wanted to beat their own, yeah. not everybody else, but they wanted to beat their own record yes. and do it correctly and do it in the right accent. So you're creating anxiety through through building in competition to where they're not only competing against themselves, uh, but they're also competing with themselves to improve yeah. in their performance. Your style of teaching reminds me of that movie, uh, Robin Williams, Dead Poet Society. Did you ever watch the movie? Oh, yes. Yes. Did, did you resonate to the message in the yes. movie? Yes. Yes. And yes. being out of the box uh, teacher that was really inspiring the students to to learn poetry and to learn English from a different perspective through a different lens instead of just the boring, uh, like you said, having the certificate to teach, but not really teaching because the students are not really engaged with you. Yeah. So when I start doing that and then our, when I started doing bigger groups and more groups uh, and even corporate accounts where we used to go and teach, we used to, at a certain level, uh, not very beginner, but let's say the next uh, level, we would train them to do conversations for like restaurants or supermarket or go and find your own like cooking lessons. And the reason why is that we would take them to a restaurant, like a real Mexican restaurant, not Guadalajara Grill, but or Papacitos, but a real taqueria, and have them order their own food. And the menu would have to be all in Spanish, but they would have to order their own food. And we would even talk to the uh, waiter before we show up so that the waiter doesn't speak to them in English. Yes. So it was more of a you know, an immersion program. Sure, uh, sure. And that's the best way to learn is to exactly. just be immersed instead of instead of piecemeal learning. It's yeah. like you throw them into the deep and they have to swim. Yeah, and this is what the our other two locations right now, the Woodlands and, and Katie, uh, adult classes still do. They take them out to lunches, dinners, do a, a cooking class, but all in Spanish. So it's just experience. It's not just sit in the classroom and, and look for, learn from a workbook. Okay. All right. Um, so what I'm detecting from your story so far is that you were able to produce results where others had failed or you were so engaging and entertaining that people were motivated to learn a second language Compared to what was in the marketplace, you were unique in your style of teaching. Yes. So being a unique educator, and, and I'm sure that you created your own proprietary uh, system that you taught your franchisees and your teachers that were now assisting you. What else was fundamental to your success in building the business? What, what else did you do? exponentially uh, took your business continuous improvement and scaling so, up? So I had a lot of headaches. I had a lot of crying. I had a lot of... Those, were the, those were the learning pains, <laughs> the yes, growing pains. pains. Yes. And those even, you know, sometimes I have to be very humble and I don't forget where, how I started because it hurt. And it hurt where... 
I never was uh, able to ask for help uh, to my husband or to my father who could probably help me financially, but I was very stubborn that it was going to be me and the business and nobody else. So I did have to go through a lot, a lot of challenges. What were some some of the biggest challenges that you went through in developing a stable foundation to where you didn't have to worry about those challenges? Processes. Ah, systems and processes. Exactly. Yes. A business goes through the startup phase. And what happens with a lot of businesses is they never spin out of that phase into yep. the next phase, which is systems and processes, yes. creating, creating structure, bringing in yes. the managers yes. that can follow the structure that you created, or they can build the structure, the systems and processes to be able to grow. And that's where a lot of startups, I've worked one time for a company that they were doing well over $20 million a year and the company was still run as a startup because the founder of the company did not want to relinquish the power and control to managers to be able to systematize the administration of the company. So it was basically a flatlined organization that he had everybody coming to him. And, and at some point, obviously, it was impractical and he had to bring in managers. But I was flabbergasted of how the operation could be streamlined if there was greater structure and greater systems in place to be able to streamline the decision-making process and the administrative decisions that oftentimes were delayed or put on hold, or no decision made that was impeding progress. You're listening to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest, Elvia Taylor. We'll be right back. ¿Estás buscando el auténtico sabor de México aquí en Houston? No busques más que Fonda Santa Rosa, el restaurante que ha estado sirviendo deliciosa comida casera mexicana por más de 10 años. Desde fajitas de carne, mole poblano, puntas de res al chipotle, puntas de res a la mexicana, plato chipaneco, chuletas de cerdo en salsa verde, y mucho más Fonda Santa Rosa tiene algo para todos. Así que ya sea que estés buscando una comida abundante con familiares y amigos o una celebración, Ven a Fonda Santa Rosa y experimenta los sabores de México aquí mismo en nuestro propio comedor. Visítanos hoy en Facebook o Instagram para ver toda la selección de platillos. Fonda Santa Rosa, donde cada comida es una fiesta. We now return you to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest Elvia Taylor. How did you come up with the systems and processes through trial and error or did you get a consultant to help you with that? You know, I would hire consultants and they were just taking advantage of me. Yes. So that's another lesson that later on I can. Very costly. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs that they bring in consultants, but they're not the right fit. Maybe that consultant was very successful with another industry. 
with another business, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate into your business. Yes, exactly. So I lost a lot of money and I, lo I lost a lot of time and faith in a lot of consulting companies. Okay. I changed it was bringing in my husband into the business. And the reason why I brought him in, he was, uh, he was a director, an operations director for a corporate uh, company. Okay. And the, our dream was that one day he would come and work for me so that we can have freedom of time. We wanted to, in, you know, in our 40s and our 50s, start traveling a lot and do a lot of things together. But it was not going to be but with him being in the corporate world because, you know, it just doesn't happen that right. way. Right. He brought the intellectual capital that he you He had needed. a master's degree on, on finance and, and, and business. I knew what he had done in his other companies. Okay. So I told him, I am going to hire a manager that's going to cost me about $80,000 right? Um, mm -hmm. in, a, in a month. So if I hire you with that, can you come and work for me? And at first he hesitated because he knew I was not ready for it. When he did decide to come in and join me, he was in shock because he knew how much potential I had as a business. He knew how much money came in. He didn't understand the finances. I was already in debt for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars wow <laughs> so you were operating so, at a loss <laughs> was operating in a loss with no bank loans no no just day by day and um surviving and struggling you had cash flow you had cash flow that kept you afloat uh, yeah. But the cash flow was probably you were either breaking even yeah. uh, or operating at a loss because you were yeah. financing your operation yes. through future exactly. income. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So, so how did that work out to bring in your husband? Because now you got me curious as to whether that, that was a good decision. <laughs> Overall, it was oh a good decision, God. but I'm sure that that became very bumpy. It was very bumpy, but he knew from the start that the first week he showed up to work, the second week he asked for the financials. And here's the other thing. Remember I said process it. The second thing was numbers. I okay. didn't know my numbers. Ah. And that's the second biggest thing or the even equal process is the numbers are your number one priority in a company. And people don't know them. Yes. People don't know them. And I didn't know them. That's why I can identify with uh, people because in reality, I was there. And I was there for like eight, 10 years. When my husband started, he started working with me about nine to 10 years ago. He met with the girl that was doing the financials. We always had our financials. We didn't even have a monthly financial meeting. Wow. What sort of revenue were you generating at the time to not have a monthly financial meeting? I know, right? I, I'm just curious. It, I, I'm I, just I curious. I believe that I did that. I was making about, in, in sales, about $150,000, $200,000. Okay. $200, okay. 
For sure. It's like that requires a, a at the very least, a monthly, if not weekly, weekly meeting to look at uh, the numbers and see how they can be managed. Yeah. But good for you that you had your husband in order to be able to do this. So obviously he saw the, the threats uh, that the business had from the numbers. What was the next big step that happened in your business to be able to improve its operation? People. The staff? The, the yeah. supporting staff? Okay. Yeah. So recruitment. Recruitment of the right people because I'm sure yeah. you had the wrong people working for you <laughs> that were giving yeah. you more headaches than what they were producing for you. Yes, it's funny because at that time, uh, there was a very famous uh, TV show uh, with Mark Lemon Lemonis, I think his last name is. It's uh, uh, my, The Prophet, it's okay. called. It hasn't been on TV for a, uh, some time, but he is always talking about people, process, and people, profit, and processes. Okay. And that was my n- number one thing. Um, the thing with the people is that I... They always, I don't have that many problems with uh, talking to people, being with people, and I'm a people person. Yeah, you're a people person. However, however, they were taking advantage of me. Yes, you were were too nice. (laughs) For for them, like attendants, are they coming in? Are they showing up on time? Are they doing this? There was no HR processes for discipline, for metrics. For yes. write-ups. <laughs> exactly. So we now, now have let all me that. Ask, let me ask you this. Did that cost you a lot of money because maybe someone wanted to sue you or wanted to file with Texas for unemployment? No? no? Okay. No. Good for you. At least you, you, yeah. you overcame that because yeah. a lot of employers, especially small business, don't realize that you can get into serious trouble if you don't follow HR law. Yes. So that was fixed. What was the next improvement uh, in in your business? Um, closing locations. Okay. Unprofitable we, locations. How many locations did you have? At that time, probably about, well, we had our own locations, and then we also rented spaces from other businesses okay. and other churches to you do were like subcontracting. Yes. We were probably doing eight in 18 different places. Wow. That is a big operation. 18, and, 18 satellite places, whether they were your own or whether you were subleasing. How many staff uh, did you have working for you at that time? Probably about 75. Wow. <laughs> that is a big operation. So at that point, you realized that you needed to streamline the process to cut losses of unprofitable uh, centers and to just basically improve the entire operation because now you had a professional manager that had the expertise and, like you said, had the passion to work as long in the business as was required in order to turn things around. What would have happened to you if you would have continued on your own as you were? Had to close, probably. Probably. So lesson for those listening to us, you got to have all of the elements in place because while it seems like this is a rags to riches story, and it is, maybe you weren't necessarily in rags, but you started out with $10. 
to build a multi-million dollar business in the startup phase, you made a lot of the same mistakes that a lot of entrepreneurs make, okay? Mm -hmm. So once you had a smoother operation, because in business, you always have highs and lows, you always have threats and challenges. That's just part of the business of being, part of being an entrepreneur, it goes with the territory. So once you were uh, prosperous, once you were turning a profit, once you had improved the operation, is that when you started to uh, sell franchises or how did that come no. about? I started selling franchises even before my husband showed up. Okay. To the picture. Which complicated things even more, didn't it? Yes. By then, we were already closing two or three locations okay. of franchises. So what was the biggest failure of the franchises? They were not really failed. The reason why I closed them was they were too much of a headache for me. Okay. Um, uh, and it took too much of my time. And the thing is that a lot of the franchises that closed were because a lot of uh, Hispanics were trying to come into the United States to invest, to get their investor visa. Uh, they okay. were not the right people to sell franchises to. Yes. The EB20 program is what you were selling. Okay. Yes. Yes. Now, I, I, didn't, I didn't start it, didn't even think about that kind of um, going towards that market okay. it just happened. And so three of the locations were owned by you know, people that wanted to invest to get that um, visa. And right. they were not doing things right. They were not investing the right amount that needed to be done. Um, they were not taking it they serious. Were, they were undercapitalized and it wasn't yeah. their dream it was just exactly. a, mean, a means to an end and when you have that kind of mentality a means to an end is not going to necessarily take the passion that you need in order to grow a business exactly. and so i can see why that became a problem for you all right so uh you have been able to reach the pinnacle of success elvia 2020 hindsight what would you tell the younger Elvia when she's just starting out with her little class in her, <laughs> in her kitchen or in her living room? Uh -huh. What advice would you give her uh, about your last journey that could have avoided a lot of headaches and maybe could have had even bigger success uh, with so, much, so many years in the business? What advice would you give her? I would give her to get better prepared and not have better knowledge on the processes before you even start a business. Okay. It's your process. It's um, knowing exactly how you're going to grow. And like I mentioned before, I used to cry for many, many years. I cried every night. I okay. cried because I was praying and praying and praying to a lot of people were supporting me. A lot of my staff, I still have people that are working with me since that, that time. Wow. Um, they were really and, loyal employees that believed in and, your dream also. Yes. But I, you know, my thing was that you have to believe in your dream and no stop. I mean, but, but be intelligent. Did you it. ever doubt your dream? Did you ever question yourself as to what were you thinking of 
when you set out to build such a big operation? I would, but then I would change immediately my attitude. Okay. And that was through my um, mentors that I was talking to you about. I started yes. following and following mentors that had been successful in their own ways. Let's go ahead and talk about that because uh, in prior to this interview, you and I were talking about uh, people that had a positive influence upon you. And you got into the personal development field early on, and you were exposed to a lot of uh, highly influential thought leaders, such as uh, Bob Proctor and others, I'm sure. So how did positive thinking and how did uh, these personal development leaders help you not to give up or how to continuously improve your thought processes so that you would always be optimistic and always try to to keep fighting uh, uh, to find that light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, the I think that one of the the main reasons that I I am successful is because of the way I think and the way that these people taught me. The first thing is knowing what you want out of life. Gotta and have even, clarity. <laughs> That's your first thing is uh, most people, including myself, I would say, I want this, 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 I need this, I need this, I urgently need this. And I started, when I started learning was that you don't say I I need, um, you always base yourself on what you want. And sometimes yes. people don't even understand. That is so subtle that I want to drill down on this. So Elvia, the majority of people who have that, that common mindset of I need this, I need that, talk to us as an expert now, 2020 hindsight. Mm-hmm. What was it that the universe was giving you that maybe you weren't totally uh, embracing, you weren't totally owning to the opportunity, as opposed to being focused on the scarcity of the need? versus exactly. the plentiful versus the plentiful opportunity that the universe was giving you. So tell us about that. The first thing is that everybody, I would say 80% of the of, of the world of the people, we always pray in our own ways and we pray and we tell God or Jesus or whoever we're praying to, um, if you can give me this, if you can Just a little bit, please just help me with my bills. Hate this. I have learned and I have followed a lot of people, spiritual, business, um, all kinds of different um, ways of seeing life is God is there. He loves you and he's going to do whatever you want. Don't ask him for breadcrumbs, for leftovers. He wants you to know exactly what you want so he can provide you exactly what you want. I started talking to him and saying, I want leftover. Okay. I want I want to be the person that lends money. I want to be the person that I have leftover in my bank. I want prosperity financially. I want prosperity and in, in abundance in my health. I want prosperity in my relationship. I want prosperity and abundance in my peace and my insight. Not just pues que si puedes, if you can just help me, God, please right. just help me with the monthly bills. Right. No, no, because he's just going to give you barely just enough. 
to to pay your bills. So if you are expecting and wanting more, you should ask for more. I know I have a different way of thinking. No, no, I, I'm very familiar with uh, that mindset. And what I tell clients is, look, the universe uh, operates out of abundance. It's like exactly. when, the, when the sun shines, there's not scarcity of sunshine for anybody. When it rains, there's not scarcity of rain uh, for the earth. Uh, and, and if anything, when we learn to tap into the abundance of opportunity yeah. that is out there, wouldn't you agree that there's opportunity around us everywhere we look oh once, yes. once we yes. start to look through the lens of opportunity? The now, thing is that people don't see it. They an opportunity it. may be disguised as hard work. Okay. When the reality hits that it takes a lot of hard work to tap into and to be able to mine that opportunity as though it was a gold mine. It's like you got to do the digging for the riches that are there for the taking by putting in the hard work, by acquiring mastery, by doing what is necessary in order to create a customer. And to uh, to be outstanding at what you do, that like in your case, you got referred to more businesses. Like your business was incrementally growing; it was growing through that reputation that you had, producing results. Yeah, think and grow rich, Napoleon Hill. Absolutely, absolutely. You transmuted the energy uh, that you had, that passion that you had, and turned it into cash as a result of um, creating the systems and processes and creating the, the service that people were needing and, and seeking that some of them maybe didn't even realize that they needed that until they realized by having flawless Spanish or English, that was going to create opportunity for them. My biggest uh, focus at the school um, at the language school as well as in the preschool is mainly um, customer service, marketing, yes. sales, enrollment, things like that, PR, things like that. That right. is my focus. Right. My husband's um, side is HR, processes, uh, licensing, um, all that has to do with documents, all that has to do with accounting, all that has to do with all that stuff because he's good at that. And he has an eye for that. I have an eye and a heart for people, for customers. I can contact, uh, talk to them. Yes. I can um, encourage them to continue or not continue. This is a good school or not a good school. But it all started with all this, not just with my husband, but knowing where I was going and where I wanted to go. Tell, tell our listeners, because they can't see you, what you're holding up. So I'm holding a book that's called Think and Grow Rich um, by Napoleon Hill. It was a very hard book for me to read because it was in, in very old English. And nowadays there's a, book, a new version. But this one, the first question was, what is your purpose in life? What is your... Uh, that's a big one. Your... That's a big one. Why are you here? Uh, yeah. What Sidlik has, has uh, come up with is find your why. Find your why. Yes. The rest is details. Yeah. Yes. Or like your definite plan. Don't start, you know, what's your intention to give? Right. What's your intention? What's your commitment? All those questions were so 
they were so deep but they took time and it took time for me to even understand myself. Yes. Being an entrepreneur and you don't understand yourself and your capacity of where you're going to go to. It's hard. Absolutely. Yes. Spending a lot of, you're just going around like a twister, but not landing anywhere. So Elvia, you are now getting into business coaching executives talk to us about that how how have you been able to uh iterate uh, your business uh, expertise into uh coaching for executives so what i have done um it's by referral people have referred okay. me to them um i haven't really marketed myself big or anything like that but i do help them especially uh entrepreneurs uh you know, VP, CEOs of companies, because sometimes they're overwhelmed with, uh, if I'm talking about people that already have their own companies and they're in the, you know, millions of dollars of profits and revenue, is sometimes they have never really had a life coach or somebody to guide them. And they, sometimes they are very um, stressed with all their meetings. It, it's a lonely meetings. world that they live in, yes. isolated yes. because they don't trust a lot of people. Yes. They don't trust a lot of people because they, they like us, have been burned before also. Yes. And there's a lot of uh, quackery in professional coaching that uh, you have coaches that are offering very high-priced uh, coaching uh, programs that is all nothing but just uh, smoke and mirrors ends up frustrating uh, people even more and giving coaches like you and I a bad name because not all coaches are the same. There are people that are seasoned because they have lived through what they're coaching you on. And just like you, I'm sure you are very good at what you do because through trials and errors, you've been able to, to, like I tell clients, Many people have PhDs and master's degree in what not to do, and and they can use this experience. They can leverage this experience to be able to help others uh, avoid also, the same pitfalls. Also, what I have seen with some of my CEOs and VPs that come to me or are my students is that sometimes they do not use their their brain, their head, yes. their consciousness, and unconsciousness yes. to change things to be better exactly what they want the, the answer to be so like they, they, in the meeting they don't know how to control the meeting yes they, they they're, they're hyper rational the they're, they're hyper rational <laughs> trying to rationalize everything yeah. but if you do that then you are ignoring the other part of your brain which is the wiser right brain yes. The right brain is where a lot of the principles of abundance mm-hmm. and uh, holistic thinking that the answers lie, because yeah. the answers cannot be found at the level that the problem was created. So I tell them, don't be afraid of going into that meeting. Go into the meeting. Be prepared for it. Yes. Prepare your mind before you go into the meeting. Before and, you go and this is meeting, what you go did. outside and stay in the car, stay yeah. in your in your bathroom, your private bathroom. Sit there and just think what you want from the meeting. Yes. How the answer you want from that meeting, you can create it. Prepare the mind. Prepare the mind yes. to get the objective that you're after. Absolutely. This is what I do with uh, uh, performance coaching. 
with athletes. They have to first envision a perfect score of whatever it is that they uh, play. Uh, I worked uh, with an Olympic uh, team one time that uh, they did a lot of visualization work to have that perfect shot uh, before they could even get on the floor. So absolutely. Well, this has been very interesting and enlightening. Any final words, Sylvia? So I'm talking about visualization and um, meditation. When I started following these mentors and things like that, um, I would visualize my school. Mm-hmm. I would meditate even before the first thing that I would do in the morning is visualize my day. I would okay. visualize how many students I had. I would visualize the faces of new students. And that's how I started changing, not only with the processes and all that, but it was here. Yeah, you were priming your mind. You were priming your mind to have that as an objective. When By having that as a single objective, as opposed to confusion and frustration, your mind could filter out everything that would lead you to that. So absolutely. And another thing is I always tell tell my students, fake it till you make it. I would not, (laughs) I would go into stores and try on like the Prada purses and anything that I wanted. And I would say, I'm coming get you. I'm yeah. going to come and get you. Yeah. I would never say that's not for me. Yeah. I would just say, I'm coming and get you. I'm coming yeah. and get you. That's your mind. And I did that just so that I sure. could be convinced that I was going to be at that point. A preview of coming attractions by claiming the material items before you can actually pay for them. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, this has been very enlightening, Elvia, and uh, we look forward to, you got to come back and and talk to us about uh, your journeys and future successes. Yes, thank you. Well, now we have our own, uh, you have my contact number. Yes. I have yours, so we'll be in touch. Well, friends, that is all for today. Until next time, go out and thrive.